Hello, hello, and welcome to the Finding the Unicorn in You podcast. What a beautiful day to inspire lives. My name is Jaime Gabriel Ragosa, your host, and I am so excited to have you here. Let's get ready to meet some fantastic unicorns and learn how to unleash the inner unicorn in you. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. I have Kathy Sinsun. She actually currently works as an early childhood educator, and she's also a supervisor, works as an infant specialist, and she has her master's, her bachelor's. I don't want to say a little bit too much about her because I want her to talk about it a little bit more. So without further ado, here's Kathy. Hello. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. I've been an early childhood educator for the past 10 years. My specialty has always ranged working with infants and toddlers, children under five years old. So zero to five has always been my niche. Why infants? What, why Why that age range of zero to five? I, I work in that field right now and the kiddos are very impressionable at that age. They're very moldable. So why go into that field? I think it just started ever since, ever since I became an aunt and I had like my nieces and nephews come to me. Like I don't have children of my own. I say all of my kids are my kids that I've worked with over the years. But ever since like I had my nieces and nephews come into my life, I've just always been so akin to working with kids under five years old. I did try like school tutoring programs, avid tutors and things like that for children, like in middle school, high school, elementary school. But the the niche that always stuck with me was infants and toddlers, because I feel like infants and toddlers definitely have this like you said, this impressionism, but they also have this unbiased and innate sense of what to trust and what not to trust, Mm -hmm. how to grow, how not to grow, learning to test boundaries and just having a a manic energy (laughs) that sometimes matches my own because to really like connect with infants and toddlers you really just have to match that energy. Even if you can get just like a, a small smile out of them at the end of the day, I think it's honestly a win for me, especially if they've been crying for the majority of our therapy sessions. Honestly, for me, that's always been what I have loved when I work with infants and toddlers is the the developmental milestones. So like watching them crawl, watching them walk, them learning to adapt to languages. It's such a niche to see the perspective of life through infant and toddler because they're so small. They don't really know about the world. They're just learning about it. And I love learning it through them. For the listeners that don't know, what are developmental milestones? So from zero to 12 years old, they're learning all of the basics, you know, learning how to grasp things with their hands. They're learning how to look. They're trying to identify the speech that's being listening to. They're trying to figure out all these things, crawling their environment and things like that. So those are what we would call a developmental milestones. All areas of development, cognitive, communication, social, emotional, self-help, adaptive skills, gross and fine motor skills. Each one has a certain milestone that needs to be achieved in order for them to like develop appropriately so when there is and I guess this is a little bit about like what my field work is now is we as assessors go into the home we basically just do an assessment to look at the developmental milestones see what they haven't been achieving yet and then creating a set of skills or a set program with a teacher to help with those milestones so an example would be if a child is unable to communicate 
or they're just having trouble like with speaking or something like that, then that's where we go in and start tailoring a program that would benefit with them learning how to talk. So we would try to come up with speech activities for the parents to work on when we're not home. I know, especially with, when we work with individuals, because we do the ASQs, we do the, the assessments as well, not to the extent I think that you y'all do but we do like in-home visitation. One of the things that we get commonly is my ki- my child is, is autistic. My child's autistic. They're not meeting mm. their milestones. And I think that's mm. a big misconception that if child is not growing the way that they're supposed to, it could be other factors that are influencing. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? And how do you handle, talk to the parents when assumptions come up? Let me start by saying that the diagnosis for autism, there are a lot of like signs or symptoms that that is like a general broad of range. So those include, you know, like lack of eye contact, um, flapping movements, a constant repetition of noises, such as humming and things like that. So those are all noticeable qualities that a lot of people say like are signs of autism. In terms of parents that are like worried about that, we have had a lot of parents be very cautious about it, especially because of COVID. So due to COVID, a lot of our students that we have now really have little to no experience with social emotional development. A lot of parents have been on the upkeep of like saying, you know, I think my kid might be autistic. And then we go, we do the assessment. The kid is fine growing in their own way. They may not, or should I say they have selective hearing when they don't want to respond to something that they don't want to do. But in terms of that, they're not really, I don't think that really is like something to worry about. Yeah, he is doing X, Y, and Z, but look, he's also doing, you know, A and B and C. Mm -hmm. So I think that's definitely one of the things that we constantly have to, helping parents understand like the differences between children that are on the spectrum or that are autistic versus children that just need some more help with usual emotional or self-help and adaptive skills. We have some kids that still don't know how to like properly feed themselves with spoons and forks and stuff like that. And that is like an adaptive self-help skill. It's not really an autistic skill because they're constantly using their hands. It's just that they just need to know how to do the wrist movement when it comes to having them feed themselves. Yeah. And I think these, these type of agencies and the work that you do is super important because like you said, we start making assumptions show these type of like behaviors, but it could be something completely different. We had one child who was three years old, I believe. And the parents were concerned because the kid would ignore them and they, that he would not pay attention and listen to direction. Mm -hmm. And then the kid would always cry. So when it came to do the wellness check, turns out the kid was deaf and you know, he, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So he would not take him to the hearing test for the doctor. No, they were behind on their vaccines. They were behind on all their screeners. So we, we got them back on track. Now he has hearing aid. Well, he was hard of hearing, not completely deaf. We gave him a a hearing aid and now he's able to live life a little, a little bit more easily than before. Yeah. Yeah. No. And we definitely get moments of that because we have children with all types of developmental delays. So seen like um, cerebral palsy. We've seen trisomy 21, which is Down syndrome. We've seen hydrocephalus kids. We've seen like a lot of different instances and cases where we do see like children with severe mental, de- mental cognitive delays or physical delays. Our job as the infant specialists, we're there to help the families, give them a little bit more of edu- education or like resources, help them understand like this is why we need to work on this and that. So that way, you know, Timmy is able to start getting ready to walk. Super, super important. Like I wouldn't have known if I was in the field about all of these different things and the little different requirements. And now that I'm learning about all this stuff, it just shows how a lot of us are just ignorant to the topic 
and we make our own assumptions. And mm-hmm. I always get the, the, especially in the Hispanic community, I get the moms are like, well, I didn't grow up with all these fancy assessments and I turned out fine. And I'm like, well, that's good for you, that's but that's great for you. That's not always the case for every individual. Some people are mm-hmm. born differently with different obstacles and we need to address it. Definitely. One of the things that I do notice is that uh, families in the Hispanic community, it is hard for them to really find these resources because I feel there's still this unfortunate stigma to seek help is a bad thing. And especially in Hispanic communities where they're like, well, my child is turning out fine. but Your child still hasn't been able because I've I've had a lot of parents that have always told me this, like, they're constantly like, well, what's wrong with my child? The other cousin is two years old or something like that. And they're already speaking up a storm. But my child yeah. can't even say like two words together. And I'm just like, well, one of the things that we shouldn't be doing is we shouldn't really be comparing our children to other children. Mm-hmm. Because if there's one thing that I have learned working with infant toddlers is that every single one of them is a crazy, crazy baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. the, it's it's like in a good way. Each one of them have their own little unique temperaments and their own little unique personalities. One of the things that always does, it, it does break my heart because there is that stigma, you know, where, where a lot of a lot of families in Hispanic communities are like, there's nothing wrong with him. He's fine. He just needs a little bit more attention. But it's not the attention that he's getting. If not, it's a service that he needs. Exactly. So I'm going to give you an analogy and tell me what you think. A lot of people need to understand that certain tools are needed for you to succeed. They say that you're at dinner and, and they give you a glass cup and they give you the pour water, you drink it, you're fine. They give everybody water, right? However, they give you some coffee and it's really steaming hot and you're still drinking out of that glass cup. It's going to burn you. It's going to make discomfort and it's going to make it really hard for you to drink from that glass cup. When you look around, you see that everybody around in your table has glass cups. So they're also burning. They're also having discomfort. You're like, that's normal. The next day you're moved to a different table and you notice you're still given the glass cup, but then your partners around you are having are given mugs. So then you see that they're not having the same discomfort as you. They're not having the same issues that you're having. But people at your other table said it's normal. People like us, it's normal. We're, we we get by it just fine. And you keep going through your whole life using the glass cup until one day somebody offers you a mug. And now you're like, wow, I actually didn't have to go through all that pain and suffering. I could have just had that tool to help me this whole time. And I think mm-hmm. that's the disservice that we do in our, gener- in our generation, in our culture, when we say they're going to get through it just fine. We're doing mm-hmm. our chi- our children, the new generation, a disservice by not providing them the right tools so that they mm-hmm. don't get burned, so that they don't get, they, they can live life a little bit easier. I know the reason a lot of Hispanics migrated or immigrated over here is because they wanted to have a better life for their children, not only in education, but also in all these little things. This makes them have a better life as well. Yeah. And for me, I was diagnosed with ADHD at 29. Uh, <laughs> and that's because I persisted and my my therapist was like, you know, that's not really normal that you do that. So you should mm-hmm. get tested. And I was like, oh, okay. Finally realized the reason I struggled so much through high school, through elementary, and I was in special ed classes was because I had a learning disability. If I was listened to, people just didn't say, oh, he's not getting it because he's Hispanic or he's not getting it because he doesn't speak English that well. They could have diagnosed me earlier on and I could have had that tool and my life would have been completely different. It was a little bit like I had a a little bit of rage when I was diagnosed and I was like, Mm -hmm. you're telling me that I struggled this whole time just because (laughs) of ignorance? (laughs) If anything, (laughs) 
if anybody gets anything out of this is make sure that you listen to your children. If something hurts, yeah. it probably hurts. If something's not, if not comprehending, get, get them tested because if yeah. your child is having a hard time reading, what if they're dyslexic? You know, exactly. You- like, or if they're having trouble concentrating, maybe because they have ADD. One of the things about developmental disabilities or like learning disabilities, it can be something that you can find at an early age. So I feel like a lot of parents have a lot of expectations when they become a parent. Like, I have this expectation for this child to be doing X, Y, and Z. When in truth, I truly feel that a lot of parents just need to know that children just need love you just need to feel secure in their environment they need to feel that validation that everybody as a human being needs exactly and i feel like you you definitely do a disservice as you say like to your kids if you're not putting in the effort to help them whatever whatever way possible if like if you grew up fine and you're and you're okay with how you grew up is that necessarily how you want your kid to grow up as well? I I know that like growing up, my family, we were who we were and we grew up how we grew up. Am I going to do the same thing to my kids when I have them? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely. That's one of the things that I constantly do try to think about is definitely finding ways to kind of like help parents and reassure parents, especially because I feel like a lot of parents feel that constant societal pressure of like my kid's fine there's nothing wrong with my kid he's gonna get there when he's gonna get there but at the same time they're all they're also like what if he's not but if there Mm -hmm. is something wrong and that's where and that's where you kind of have to really take you have to kind of bite the bullet and avoid who cares what people will say about you as long as you're providing what you need for your kid I feel that's been that's more important than what anybody will say about you exactly exactly just check there's nothing wrong in double checking and just getting the assessment you're not going to lose anything i know it's scary because you don't want your child to be abnormal as people say or not or neurodivergent but there's nothing wrong with it i always say like we're all a little autistic there is something for everything you Mm -hmm. know like i i truly do feel as though yeah it's a spectrum like i i know for sure like if i can just play with watercolors or like paint my hand all day and just sit in the pool all day. I would definitely do that. Those are a lot of sensory issues that I have and I struggle with. <laughs> yeah. And now that I, I got diagnosed, I, I always tell people around me, I was like, I think you might have something. <laughs> and my best friend, I was just having a conversation with her and I was, and she's like, I talk to myself all the time. I even narr- I narrate everything that I do. And I was like, that's not normal. that's me that's me i literally okay so just a little just a little fun fact i recently bought this microphone a couple couple of months ago with my fiance and we said that we were going to start like a gaming streaming channel and stuff like that one of the things i have yet to do is how to use like my microphone so i Mm -hmm. haven't really been touching it today is the first day that i'm actually like (laughs) using it in its proper capacity and I did not know that if you plug in the headphones, you can hear yourself talking. (laughs) And let me tell you, I have spent, uh, I think, like 30 minutes just listening to myself talk as I'm typing (laughs) out my emails, as I'm as I'm talking to my dog, everything, everything was like in my ears. And I was just like, this is fascinating. I have never (laughs) seen this before. I didn't know if you could do this. Like it was it was it was a moment. It was a moment. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. I, when I got this microphone, the same thing. I was like, oh my goodness, I can actually hear myself yeah. talk. Because I was like, I hear myself talk all the time. I talk, and of course I listen to myself, but no, you're like listening to like everything that you're no, saying. No, you're Every- listening to yourself. I was like, this is going to be how I'm going to start you know, writing projects is I'm just going to talk to myself in the microphone and I'm just going to be typing away. So that way it sounds like it makes sense in my head. So I can talk about this topic forever, but I want to switch topics yeah, a little bit. For sure. So you went to uh, Japan, I know right after, yes. I believe you went like what, a year after you graduated from your bachelor's degree? No, actually. <laughs> so I got my bachelor's degree in June of 2012, like a couple of months before I was going to graduate that I went to go and talk to my counselor professor, like the ones for like the writing program. And I told them that I wanted to do an MFA and they asked me like, have you applied? And I said, yes, but I just recently got the letter that I didn't get accepted. She was just like, well, why don't you just take a year off? Why don't you just go to a different country and teach English? She was saying that it's kind of, it's not very hard to try to get into it because they are looking for teachers. The, the little like, five-year-old girl that would wake up at like six in the morning to go see Sailor Moon saying say Japan and I was just like <laughs> I, I've always wanted to go to Japan it's been one it's been definitely a bucket list thing but I just I figured I wasn't gonna get there until I was like in my 30s so basically my professor just said you know like just bite the bullet take a apply to some programs in Japan I see that they're hiring in this place and this place and this place about like a month after I graduated I went to my first interview and then I didn't get that one I was really disillusioned and a little bit heartbroken because this is this was definitely a once in a lifetime opportunity chance and I just like blew it so I applied the second time to another school so they offered me a job and I was like cool I'm going to Japan <laughs> and I told my mom and my mom was like you're going where <laughs> <laughs> I I literally left that same year like let me tell you, it was definitely a culture shock, number one. But for some reason, I felt like home. And my little five-year-old voice was saying, like, you made it, you did it. This is what you've always wanted. Yeah, it was definitely a, a wonderful experience. I cannot stress enough to people that are taking an interest in, like, traveling. Go. Just just go. Bite the bullet. Take that 16, 17-hour flight. <laughs> definitely go experience it I think that's one of the things that was very helpful for me in terms of growth because one of the things that I've always struggled with is really finding like an identity to myself and who I am I don't know what it is that I want to be when I grow up I've never really had that like oh I want to be a veterinarian oh I want to be a firefighter oh I want to be this this and this I've always known that I've loved this country. And when I went, I worked with kids and honestly, one thing fell run after the other. And I, I cried coming back home because I didn't want to come back home. Oh. I'm glad <laughs> uh, you were able to okay. I've made my peace with it. <laughs> <laughs> so how was it being a Hispanic woman being in Japan? I think definitely, I, I guess I can start with a little bit of the similarities. But there, Japanese culture kind of has like this, centralized mindset of like we are a community we all will help each other if there is a benefit that I have to do individually to benefit everybody else that is what we will do so I feel like that's definitely something that is is very different American people are are much more individualistic lifestyle so it is a little bit different but but the main difference is I feel is is 
very profound. So one of the biggest differences was work-life balance. Japanese people don't really understand that concept at all. Like <laughs> the more you work in Japan, the more people will idolize you. It's definitely like a work hustle environment that can be very draining on a person, especially me because I'm not really a night person. I'm more of a morning person. But all of my classes would be in the afternoon towards nighttime. So it was definitely like an adjustment to do. I remember I would remember like I would literally wake up at like six in the morning, even though I went to bed at like 10, 30, 11, 12 at night. That's definitely a big difference. Transportation was uh, the biggest difference. I didn't need a car. I only had my bike, my feet and some trains. And that was all I needed to get around the entire country. It was awesome. In terms of like how they would treat me, honestly, I didn't really see a lot of people simply because the way that they kind of treat foreigners is kind of like, oh, it's a foreigner. It's, oh. it's just a gaijin. That's all That's all that they would say to me. Like, a gaijin? They would, yeah, a gaijin. That's what they would call a foreigner. I never really had anybody come up to me and tell me like, get out of my country or things like that. I did have that happen to me at a city. I think it was either in Tokyo or Nagoya, one of those two cities where they were just looking at me and they were trying to determine whether or not I was Japanese or if I was something else, because people say that I do kind of look a little bit Asian and my last name doesn't really help. Remember that that person just literally would just call me like Gaijin and just get out, like leave, like just leave. And it was it was just a little bit weird because I was just trying to ignore it. Like I was just trying to pretend that I didn't understand what he was saying, but I knew what he was saying. And that's okay, guy. I, I get it. Don't like foreigners in your country. Trust me, we have that issue back in the States. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. <laughs> well, that's unfortunate. And, yeah. and I've heard that before. Like no matter where you are, you're going to have some type of discrimination. And yeah, it, it sucks that you, you it would... does like. But I honestly don't, I I don't let that, that bad experience kind of get to me because overall the experience that I had in that country was amazing. I feel like, why am I going to dwell on this one bad experience when the majority of the experience was awesome? Definitely can't stress enough the beauty that is Japan. There is amazing food, amazing places to go and things to see because a lot of Japanese architecture is still kind of like what they had before so it's still like in a traditional sense but they also have modernization throughout the entire country and my favorite places in Tokyo was always Harajuku area because they had the Harajuku street where it's like a popular street where everybody buys stuff and it's all like cute designer super lowly girls and stuff like that it's a lot of different types of styles in that area and then like you walk across across the train station and there's actually the Meiji shrine which is a traditional shrine where they have old temples and you can you can buy good luck charms and a bunch of other things it's wonderful I cannot stress enough how much experience definitely helped me become the person I wanted to be because after I came back from Japan I went through a little bit of a depression I I came back and I didn't really have anything to kind of like stand on but it's so funny how fate goes into place for everything and one of the things that I was always like worried about is what's going to happen after I come back and that's when I realized I love working with infants and toddlers that was my favorite thing to do when I was out there definitely that was one of the things that motivated me to actually go back to school get my associates in childhood education and work from there pretty much to be where I'm at now so you came back you met the love of your life and you said you know what 
COVID happened, I'm just going to get my master's. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, it's funny how, how fate goes into you because literally I think two, two months, three months after I came back, I actually met my fiance and we literally just hit it off like right away. Fun fact, he's four years younger than me. I didn't really care much about the age group, age gap. I still don't care. About the age group. <laughs> don't worry. He's called, he's called me cougar. He's called me cradle robber. You know, <laughs> I'm like, if anything, you're just robbing the grave then. It was really funny how like we met, but it'd be better if I could just have him be on the podcast with me so he can so we can talk about how we met he like encouraged me to his like you know what you should do because I was working with infants and toddlers but I was working from like the teacher's perspective but I noticed that with a lot of like management issues a lot of the things that came up was we would try to communicate and we would try to in touch with them and they just wouldn't reach out to us or they wouldn't talk with us and we would be struggling in the infant classroom. That kind of made me want to get essentially a master's program because I wanted to look into what are some good methods of communication for teachers and their managers, teachers and their supervisors, because we do see a lot of the positive outcomes of developing relationships between teachers and families but we don't really see much of you know management and teachers mm -hmm. like that was one of the things that I really wanted to study a little bit more on and, and so now that I'm working in a supervisory role that's one of the things I'm constantly telling my staff I, I try to keep myself as open and as available as I can so that if they ever have any question they can't say like oh it was because you know Kathy wasn't a good supervisor that's mm -hmm. always been my thing is that I've always taken pride in trying to help and be a good supervisor to to who I work for. That's good. And you can only do the best that you can. And the, yeah. the, the only thing is you have to be there. You have to be able to listen, mm -hmm. answer their questions and guide them and try to make the best out of everything because certain things are out of your control and a lot of staff don't realize that you have budgetary limitations you have Issues. politics that you that they don't see you just mm -hmm. have to treat them with respect and then my biggest thing is vulnerability and transparency so i'm not going to tell you do as i say because i say so it's like no um this is the reason why we're doing this and if you can find a mm -hmm. better reason then by all means let me know and we can work this together and i always tell them this is what i decided does anybody object and if so brainstorm for a better brainstorm reason on something else yes and if we can as a team figure out a better solution that's going to benefit all of us then by all means why not try it let's do it yeah yeah no definitely i've always been like one of the things that i've always talked with my supervisor is like, what are some positive circumstances that we can present to the teachers have them give us input on what we can do to be better and that's one of the things that we kind of do whenever we do like direct observations of our teachers is that we'll go on the back burner of a bit and tell them now that I've like done my observation of you do you have any questions that you have for me regarding what I can do to help you what I can do to support you what I can do to better implement whatever structure that you're looking for what type of communication do you like to do do you prefer doing email do you prefer doing text messages calls like, it's always been my thing is that I've always been a very big open communicator and that's a lot of the issues that I have with my fiance is that like I want you to communicate with me please <laughs> no question is like what my professors would say, like, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Only the questions that you don't ask. That's something that I actually just learned on a TikTok listening to a 12 year old. Her mom was recording them talking 
And she said something that just hit me and it was just like an epiphany. And it made me think differently on how communication Mm -hmm. works and emotions and emotional intelligence. So she said her and her mom were having an argument and it was a very raw moment. It wasn't scripted. It was just like she was having to record it. It was actually through a ring that they caught Mm -hmm. it. And she came like the mom was walking by and then the, the, the girl came over and she's like, I am sorry that we got in a fight yesterday and I shouldn't have yelled at you it wasn't your fault I just don't know and then she's just started crying so badly she's Mm. like I don't know how to handle my emotions I don't know how to communicate how I'm feeling Mm. and sometimes I get frustrated and I let it out in a negative way and she hugged Mm -hmm. her and she's like that's my job that's why I need to teach you how to regulate your emotions how to effectively communicate how you're feeling and what's in your head Because it's really hard to have this get out this appropriately Mm -hmm. because we can say something one way, but then the other person takes it the wrong way. Oh boy. So learning how to communicate that. And a lot of us, especially in like Hispanic culture, we're not taught how to talk our emotions. We're not taught how to express ourselves in a positive Mm way. It's like you shut up. Uh, When I'm talking to you, don't ever talk to me back. And then if you have a problem, you know, go handle it by yourself. Deal with it. A lot of Hispanics end up drinking their emotions away because they don't know how to express it or go to like, Mm -hmm. you know, drugs or other things because we were never taught how to do this. So now we're as adults, we're relearning everything and trying to like really learn how to communicate this. So it's a very difficult way to communication seems easy, but it's not. It's not. No. I wish it was so simple like that. I recently got into a little bit of an argument or a little kerfuffle. Kerfuffle. <laughs> I love that word. I've, kerfuffle. Never heard, I've never heard that. You haven't heard that? You need to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> <laughs> Mom and I had a little bit of a kerfuffle where she hurt my feelings. I know deep down her intentions was not the way that she said it. But the way that it was said just hit me in a way that affected me. And it really just like hurt me. And... To be honest, like that moment when that did happen, I told her, I just need to get away from you because right now I'm just really, really mad. And I don't want to say anything that's going to affect our relationship any further than what we have right now. Because I have a great relationship with my mom. I love mm-hmm. my mom. She kind of gave me my space and she did apologize right from the get go. But I wasn't ready to take that apology. I literally told her, like, I just need you to give me space. And when I'm ready, I'm I'll, I'll let you know. And the first time that I told her that I was ready, she just went onto the defensive and just started doing what she did in the beginning was like, well, I didn't mean to say it like that. You just took it out of context and this and this and that. And I was just like, okay, I can't do this anymore. So had to leave again. And we spent almost like a whole week and a half not talking. (laughs) And it wasn't until my mom got the perspective of my sister, my eldest sister and my niece, her daughter, she realized. Oh, okay. Well, let me try again. And that's when she came up to me. That's when we kind of just like cleared the air and I kind of grew from that and understood apologies are sometimes needed. And it was, it was a hard, it was a hard couple of weeks not talking to her because let me tell you, I talked to her every day before I go to bed. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love my mom and we have gone through, what was it called? What, kerfuffles? Is Kerf- that what you kerfuffles. <laughs> yeah. We've gone through several of those, especially like now I live alone out here, but during the pandemic, I lived with my mom. And funny thing, I was supposed to move out 
a month before the pandemic hit, but then I chickened out and I was like, no, I'm going to save a couple bucks and I'll move out in a few months. And then, you know, I couldn't move out because, you know, the world was ending. (laughs) (laughs) So then I was stuck there and I was sent home. She was sent home. We had never been that close ever, like in proximity all the time. So we were bumping into each other and we have, like I said, I love her and we get along now, but we would, we got in a huge fight one time to the point where she took her desk because we're both in the living room working and she dragged it inside her room she's like I don't want to see you anymore like this is enough and I was just like oh my goodness so I had to start using gentle parenting with her there was no therapist available so I couldn't have I didn't have anybody to talk to so I had to keep it real with her and I had to become very vulnerable and I was I sat down with her and I was like look I know that sometimes you get very upset and you don't know how to express those emotions in a positive manner or Mm. even allow us to know what's going on so you internalize that and then you like let it out in the unfortunate times so what i would like you to do i'm creating a safe space for you you can say whatever comes to mind no judgments just say it how are you feeling and we just started talking about so many different things that I pissed her off about. And like a lot of it was you, 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 you. And I was like, okay, now it's my turn. I'm going to tell you my perspective. I need you to be quiet and just listen. Oh, and, oh gosh. And then she had to listen. <laughs> and there was a lot of times where she wouldn't interrupt me. And I was just like, it's my turn. Oh, and it was- I should have done that with my mom because <laughs> let me tell you, when I, like I said, when I went to go and like, do the for do the first apology like i literally told her i'm not mad anymore i just need you to listen to what, how i'm feeling and that's when it just floodgates open you know and what really helped was they have to keep kind of interrupting her and when she was trying to interrupt me and remind her the intent of this is not for me to win or for you mm-hmm. to win because she told me and that's where i had like my epiphany she's like your problem is that you always want to win the conversation so she's like and I always want to win the conversation Mm -hmm. so that's the problem is that we think Mm -hmm. that there's a winner and a loser so what I told her the point of this not for us to win the only way we both win is if we come to a compromise and we learn how to live with each other that's the point we're doing this Mm -hmm. and it's I don't want to sacrifice my relationship with you because we have a really good relationship over like a, a small tiff so the po- I want you to keep that in mind. Whenever I'm expressing things, it's how I feel and what triggers me so that you know my triggers so that we can work a way, a way around it. And I'll know your triggers and we can work a way around it. So let's try mm-hmm. to work together, listen to each other and know that I'm not attacking you. I'm just expressing my feelings. And then she was just yeah. like, well, this is very new to me. Like my mom never did this with me. Like, yeah, I, I didn't have totally. these things with me. So she started crying and she's like, I don't even know how to do this. So I, it just brought me back to like that video I saw. My mom was going through that at 50 years mm-hmm. old, you know, because she didn't, yeah. she didn't know that. And it just, it's hard because now we are teaching them, like you said. Yes. And that, and that I think is like one of the, that's one of the things I always joke to my mom about. I'm like, you're like the teenager and I'm like the mom now. My mom is also recently divorced four years ago and it was, 
it was such a dramatic change for her because she she went through it all. She kind of just was going through all of this by herself instead of just like coming to me or coming to my sisters. But she like didn't tell us any of this. It was definitely a, a, a learning process for her. But then my mom experimenting with things. She started experimenting with like making new friends. She has so many friends now. And <laughs> I love all the more reason for it. She's, go- she's going out and enjoying her life. If she wants to go have brunch, if she wants to come home and do nothing, like it's all of these new like facets for her. And it's so fascinating to see her in this new, in this new glow. I, I always tell her you're having such a glow up because she, she definitely has gotten out of that comfort zone of like always tending to my dad, always making sure that he was fed and making sure that, you know, he had things that he needed to get done and like, my mom was always the my mom has always been that type of like a ser- a server type of attitude now that she becoming that and now kind of being a little bit selfish she's kind of just like i feel bad that i'm feeling like i i i'm feeling selfish about it and i don't want to do anything i was like girl don't do anything who's telling <laughs> you to do something nobody's your my dad's not here anymore <laughs> it's definitely so it, it's fascinating it's a transition yeah. and my mom went through it the is. same thing and it's it's a realization that they also are human and they also need to have a life and the same the same privileges yeah. that we have and going out and things yeah. they also need to do that definitely a learning curve as you get older you don't realize how similar your parents are to who you are as a person parenting at a at a much later age or a much later stage in life you have a much different relationship with your parents you you mm-hmm. develop a much better relationship with your parents because now you understand a struggle now you understand the the trials and tribulations that come with life so yeah. in lieu of halloween i'm going to change the questions mm-hmm. listening to my podcast there's a lot of unicorns and a lot of good uniform qualities that have been mentioned so mm-hmm. i want to bring in the concept of a masked unicorn so someone who who portrays themselves as a unicorn but with the wrong intentions. Wolf in sheep's clothing mm. type of thing. So a unicorn mm. with a mask. So same concept. And as a supervisor and you, and you studied human development. So in that field, and if you want to kind of portray it in the supervisor field, what would be a masked unicorn as a supervisor? Oh, that's a good question. I think in terms of a supervisory role, I think one of the biggest things, like I said, to me, that's important to me is like making sure that I have an open and honest communication with my workers. So I feel like supervisors that claim that they will do X, Y, and Z, and then they don't deliver, I would feel that would be the biggest betrayal where mm-hmm. I have experienced that before. I've had supervisors when I was working in infant classrooms, I would tell them to make sure that this place is going to be accredited to receive that extra fund. Because if we do, we can get a little bit of extra money for the teachers like as a bonus. One of the things that I would always constantly like tell my supervisors, need different blocks, you can find sensory activities, musical instruments, like all of these things. My supervisor would always be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get that done. And I never ever saw it get done. So I would have to do it myself. So I feel like definitely a supervisor that is mostly absent. And I understand if you have like medical issues or something, you know, that's going to be affecting your your work method. I totally get it. But when you are responsible for teachers making sure that they get their breaks and their planning time to make sure that the teachers are in rotation to be able to do their lunches, all of these things, this shouldn't be something that should be given to somebody 
underneath you. It's something that you need to be in charge of yourself. And even if you need to send out like a text message to or an email to us to let us know, we would greatly appreciate a heads up. Definitely that would probably, I would feel would be like the masked unicorn, a person that will say that they are available and there for you and ready to help you and them not fulfilling said promise. That's very, I hope that's a good enough. That was very that's a good enough question. That <laughs> was very deep. And I love that. And I think that person that's being a masked unicorn in that sense, and it could be intentional or unintentional because you want to do the right things with the wrong intention. So you want to be a supervisor because of the role or because of the title or because of the money, but not necessarily to actually help mm. the staff. And I mm-hmm. think the, the masked unicorn that you mentioned is a neglectful individual so like a person that's either absent or neglectful and Mm -hmm. i think in my in from my experience a neglectful supervisor is just as damaging as someone who is toxic or is someone that is purposely because you're still not being there for your staff they have questions they have needs they have certain certain order has to happen if not they start missing their lunches they stop they they get burned out they get overworked because they're trying to pick up their load and your load Mm mm-hmm I had to leave a, an assistant director position simply because of all of that. Like I had a a director that was, I'm not going to say that she wasn't great. She did help out when she needed to, but she would constantly call out or she would just be like, can you handle this for today? Um, and I was busy trying to get other things done for the classroom. So it was, it, it was a little bit hard, but, you know, working as an assistant, that was like my duty and my job, but I would try to pick up as much slack as I could and overwork myself to the point that I just burnt myself out. I can't keep doing this. Yeah, the drive is very short. It was literally just like a 15 minute drive from my home, but I was miserable because I just felt like I didn't have that support. I would constantly be trying, bending over backwards for other people. And when I needed that same help, it just was never given. I get it. And that's what drives a lot of people away because of the lack mm-hmm. of support, the lack of caring. Another one would probably be like people that are trying to take advantage of you pretty much milking you for everything that you've got and exactly. just trying to do the bare minimum. It's like with a lot of people with crypto, mm-hmm. a lot of the pump and dump schemes that have mm-hmm. been exposed over the years, like all of those, those are, although they are magical unicorns because they are one and few in between, they are definitely not a, not a great source of sorts. No, I, I agree. Those pyramid schemes, they definitely seem like a great thing. And then, they they hear all whimsical and they get you and once you're in it you're, you realize that you need to step on other people in order for you to excel and i think excel. that's where you decide they give you the mask and they're like do you want to be a unicorn and do the right thing or do you want to put the mm-hmm. mask and pretend that you're something that you're not and lure mm-hmm. other people in the pro like step on people on the process you don't necessarily have to do that in order to become successful Mm-mm. like i i 100% have never been the type of I'm going to take advantage of you so that I can become more successful. And I'm pretty sure my sisters would probably be like, well, one of my sisters would probably be like, that's very, that's very dumb of you for not taking advantage of it. But it's just like, I, at the end of the day, I need to do what make, I need to do what makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. And if I have to take advantage of other people to do that, I know for a fact, I will not because that's just not who I am. That's good because that says a lot about your ethics and your morals. So it shows that you're a real unicorn. So going into that topic, what do you think makes you a true unicorn? Knowing who I am now versus who I was and overcoming that overwhelming sense of adaptability. I, I truly feel as though 
if there's one thing that I'm good at besides having a great sense of direction <laughs> is being able to adapt well to any environment that I have been pushed into. Like I can acclimate myself very well. That's one of the things I'm very, very happy to to do. If I needed to like get a pack and move across the country, I feel like it wouldn't be the end of the world. I would just be like, okay, it's a new place and I just have to get used to routine here. I feel like that's definitely been something that I've been very grateful for. In business terms, you just demonstrated that you're very effective at change management. You can adapt to change. You learn, you know how to be able to absor absorb it, like absorb the knowledge of what's going on, assessing it, and then acting appropriately. And I think we've seen this time and time again, you didn't get into your master's program and you're like, you know what? Okay, that happened, but... <laughs> Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go to Japan, you know, yeah. and get that life experience. <laughs> and you go to Japan and, you know, there were some obstacles there, but then you made the best out of it and you enjoyed the, the opportunity. You came back. You didn't want to come back, but you came back and then you met your fiance and then you went into your master's degree and then now you're doing like fantastic work. And I know that you're still yeah. working on little side projects and constantly working on yourself, which is, yeah, I think you're, you're doing a phenomenal job. And I just want Thanks. you to give yourself a pat on the back because I think a lot of us Thank don't. <laughs> can't reach it <laughs> a lot of us don't Brandon. hear that enough <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like that 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 definitely is one of the things that a lot of people don't really hear a lot about is you're given the cards that you're dealt and then you have to figure out how to use it to your advantage and that's definitely been one of the things that I have learned throughout like I feel like my life like when something doesn't go your way it's because it was supposed to go a different way definitely I feel like that saying, you know, when one door closes, another one opens has definitely been a way of life to me now. Because <laughs> there have been plenty of opportunities to take and plenty of opportunities to not take. And I feel just like finding that that niche, that that need or whatever it is that you need to call it to truly immerse yourselves and understanding yourself, you should do it 100%. Like one of the things that I learned when I was in Japan was this ideology called Ikigai, which is making a little bit of everything, your own work life, your personal life, society, community life, and just finding a balance between the three of them. So you have your own self-worth, you have self-worth towards your community, and you have self-worth towards your work. So it's kind of okay. just like finding that work-life balance, which is funny because like I mentioned before, you know, Japanese people have no concept of that. <laughs> <laughs> but they have a good model for it. In but case they have decide. a good model for it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I love that. And, and who is the unicorn in your life that has shaped you to be the person that you are today? My mama. <laughs> there's no, there's no, like, I, I didn't even have to think twice about it. I definitely feel like my mother has definitely been the unicorn in my life. And I, like I said, I'm a mama's girl, but I, I truly feel as though the fact that she is reinventing herself at the age that she is, mm -hmm. is truly a remarkable feat because you know how, like, you hear those stories of like people that are just like you know what my life is over because you know he left and he's never coming back and what am I going to do with the rest of my life and I'm pretty sure she has had that moment of existential crisis but yeah I would feel as though like my my mom is definitely a very strong individual and has gone through a lot of ups and downs and I just appreciate for all the life lessons that she's given I love that and if you can give one piece of advice to our listeners what would it be 
oh, please do not be afraid to manifest things when you're five years old. (laughs) (laughs) I manifested that from five years old to go to Japan and 17 years later it happened. So definitely don't be afraid to take those, take those risks, take those plunges to ready to, you know, immerse yourselves in something new, following passions, like all of that, just definitely take it if you can if the opportunity presents itself don't be afraid to to open that door love that i absolutely love that piece of advice is there anything that you would like to plug currently um like i said i'm just doing like a lot of little passion projects here and there like i'm thinking of starting like an etsy shop and i'm thinking of starting you know a podcast of my own because you have definitely motivated me to try to bite that bullet as we were talking about if you want to find me uh my instagram handle is ms.kathyz in Instagram. That's pretty much all I got right now. But I am currently working on a little passion project of mine to start helping families understand like developmental milestones and trying to come up with like resources for teachers to kind of use in the classroom to help with that as well. So hopefully it'll come sooner than later, maybe if not this year, then definitely the next. I love that. So if y'all are listening and you want to keep up with that, go ahead and follow her on Instagram. I will also yeah. tag I will tag her Instagram on her name. So if you just click her name on the bio of this podcast, it'll take you directly to to her Instagram yeah. as well. Please chat with me. Tell me tell me all about your kids. I'd love to hear about it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. That about wraps up this episode. Thank you so oh, much. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for listening in and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.